Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is your host, Chris Wright, on Point Counterpoint. You're listening to KUST, University of St. Thomas, Campus Radio. And you're listening to the mother of all podcasts, Point Counterpoint. And I think that's just a just a beautiful show. All right. And it's, it's getting kind of steamy in here. Very sensual. See, the only lights on in here are these Christmas lights hanging on the walls. That's very nice. I like the I like the effect that it produces. Nice environment. Alright, so today uh, I just wanted to have a little fun, you know. Actually, first, shout out to another podcast, which is Shokrut, C-H-O-U with an accent, K-R-U with the two dots, T, and then the the Spanish exclamation points around that, Shokrut. And it's a it's a podcast of international differences. It's hosted by my roommates, and I'm making an appearance on it next week. It's recorded already, and it's going up next week. It's gonna be awesome. Also, check out my upcoming two new podcasts, which is uh, I'll be coming out with one of them probably in the next day or two, and the next one maybe a few di- probably a few days later. I don't I don't know when I'm gonna end up releasing that. But those are going to be awesome with Looney Lewis is one of my guests. And the other one is uh, J. Scott Christensen. And he does artificial intelligence, technology. And it's going to be a really interesting conversation. Both of them will be. All right. All right. All right. All right. So I want to start off. Let's kick it off here with just having a little fun. And I wanted to do a little shout out to my old YouTube channel that I still upload on occasionally, mostly just uh, when, when I when I uh, when I record an interview, I'll upload it on YouTube so you can watch the the video version. But here's one an old video from three years ago. An interesting thing here. This is a video about a shepherd. It's a video that I took of a shepherd using sh- using his border collies to herd sheep in Scotland. And I actually saw this guy on a documentary about, you know, the history and the making of whiskey on Amazon Prime. It was very interesting, but I saw this guy on there, so that was really in- fun to see. I love how I'm, I'm expecting you to know what's going on. All you're doing is hearing. Sound I'm expecting you to know what's going on. That was not a good idea. Sound okay. What's one that you can actually listen to? No. Oh, here. Here's. Okay. Here's karaoke of my. Of three high school. 
music teachers from my school. Here's karaoke of my Mr. Fedek, Mr. Frenchu, and Mr. Wickham. Music teachers from my. Show you the silent film I made. Then all you hear is background music. Film I made. Then all you hear is background music. What's one that you might appreciate? What's one that you might appreciate? What's one that appreciate? Every hour, an animal is beaten or abused. Every hour. Spend all your time. Hi, I'm lesbian, Sarah McLaughlin. If these images disturb you, well, then you're like the rest of us Americans, Sarah McLaughlin. That was a long time ago. If these images disturb you, well, then you're like the rest of us Americans, Sarah McLaughlin. That was a long time ago. If these images disturb you, well, then you're like the rest of us Americans, Sarah McLaughlin. That was a long time ago. If these images disturb you, well, then you're like the rest of us Americans, Sarah McLaughlin. That was a long time. Oh, here's my How to Talk Minnesotan video. That was fun. It has 76,000 views on it, man. That was fun. How did I do that? It has 76,000 views on it, man. That was, that was, I don't know, that's enough that. of look at my own. All right, that's enough of look at my I've got a little, at that little song I'd like to share with you. All right, that's enough of look at my I've got something in my front pocket for you. Why don't you reach on in my pocket and see what it is? Then grab on to it just for you. Give a little squeeze and say, how do you do? Something in my front pocket for you. Why don't you reach on in my pocket and see what it is? Then grab on to it just for you. Give a little squeeze and say, how do you do? There's something in my front pocket. There's something in my front pocket. There's something in my front pocket. I've got something in my front pocket for you. Why don't you reach on in my pocket and see what it is? 
Now that's a song from South Park. That's the fun version of the song. Then I, then one day I was looking up that song because I thought it was kind of funny. That's the. I looked up the original version. Then I, and I was not happy with what I found because I thought it was kind of funny. That's the. I looked up the original version. Then I, and I was not happy with what I found because I thought it was kind of funny. That's the. I looked up the original version. Here, let me. Not happy with what I found. I'll figure it out. I looked up the original version. Here, let me. Not happy with what I found. I'll figure it out. Gosh, why is it? Okay. Here, let me. Not happy with what I found. I'll figure it out. There we go. Gosh, why is it? Okay. Here, let me. Not happy with what I found. I got something I can't even listen to the whole thing. I can't even listen to the whole thing. No, I gotta. I have to force myself. I hate this stuff. I hate it so passionately. I hate I have to turn that volume down. That's too loud. to explain something a little more serious here something called panpsychism now you probably don't know what panpsychism is because most people don't but it's something that it's a philosophical idea that uh, ma many people embrace as an alternative to materialism it's a you know, it's, it's a philosophical, right, yeah. So you can be, obviously, there's materialism, which is everything is simply matter. Um, and the brain and the mind are the same thing. There's dualism, where there's the brain and there's the mind, and they're separate. And a lot of scientists are, object, are against that. 
And there's panpsychism, which there are a number of scientists which do believe in this. And I'll just give you the definition here. The doctrine or belief that everything material, however small, has an element of individual consciousness. And then when you... Basically, so obviously we have a level of consciousness where we are, and that comes from from their argument. It comes from uh, all the neurons firing together in a certain pattern, in a certain way that present, that develops into a sort of consciousness at a macro level. Like at a minor, at a micro level, it's just little neurons firing and Traditionally, you'd say they wouldn't have consciousness. Panpsychism would say that there is some sort of element of it. Because it would it would seem strange that a whole bunch of non-conscious elements can come together and magically create a, a consciousness. Which is why people sort of believe in this, kind of, where it's a bunch of small elements of it, not even in the way that... Con not even the definition of consciousness as we like to think of it but some el some version of it at a very small level when they come together it creates this consciousness and if you want to really listen to that i think it's the it's the latest episode of uh mind what it's podcast with steve carroll or uh, sean carroll Yeah, I think it's the latest one. Um, should be. I think it's the latest one. Um, should be. All right, where? Where's the episodes list? Yes. So it was the last episode, which came out uh, yesterday. Yes. It was. So it was the last episode which came out. It was very good. Yesterday. It was. I'd like to show you a little something about it. It was very good. I'd like to show you a little something about it. I see panpsychism as being some ways intermediate between physicalism and dualism. Has some aspects of physicalism and some aspects of dualism. Like physicalism, dualism. I think you just have this As simple ontology of basic physical particulars and properties connected by laws. Like at least property dualism, you have a, a dualism of the intrinsic properties which constitute consciousness and these relational properties that constitute physical structure. I guess I'd like to see it as a view which has the best elements of both. I mean, but as a physicalism, it is a fairly radical form of physicalism. Precisely because it does introduce as mental properties as fundamental. You say there is, I mean, if you're a panpsychist, you say there is consciousness at the fundamental level of the natural order. I mean, this changes the physical worldview from one that just involves dead matter to one that involves mind at the fundamental level. So metaphysically, I think it's, it's radical, and um, many physicalists, I think, are going to find it too radical of you for their taste. But if you ask me just philosophically, I think it actually can preserve much of what is attractive about physicalism while still making room for irreducible consciousness.
can preserve much of what is attractive about physical while still making room for irreducible consciously. Can preserve much of attractive view. Panpsychism. Because one attractive view idea about panpsychism. Because one lost my train of thought idea. I had a about panpsychism. I gotta get rid of all these voices in my head with these with these headphones. I gotta get rid of all these voices in my head with these what was I gonna use it? Headphones. Um, I gotta get rid of all these voices in my head with these headphones. I gotta get rid of all these voices in my head with these great thing to say. Great way to explain it. Um, great thing to say. Oh, shit. Great way to explain it. Um, great way to explain it. Um, great thing to say. Oh, shit. Great way to explain it. Um, great thing to say. Oh, shit. Oh. Great way to explain it. Um, oh, wait. Almost there. Oh. Great way to explain it. Um, almost there. Oh wait, um, almost there. Oh, it relates to um, Galileo. Oh wait, um, almost there. Because he had something to it say about. Oh yes, 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 yes. I got it, I got it. Okay, so the idea is that. So this was presented by a philosopher. This idea. Okay. So the idea is that. So this was presented by a philosopher. With a philosopher. Who's okay. saying that so what science that does is it describes the quantitative aspects of the universe. What science does and is it describes but it really quantitative isn't aspect there. It never was there to describe the qualitative aspects isn't particularly of the mind. It never was there to describe the qualitative He's saying that this is really what Galileo believed. Like believed that and he's saying that this is really what Galileo believed. Like nothing more to say there. Believe that. And he's saying that this is really what Galileo believed. Like nothing more to say there. Believe that. And he's saying that this is really what Galileo believed. Like nothing more to say there. Oh, hi. Oh, yeah, I'll disable the ad blocker for this site. Oh, hi. Oh, yeah, I'll disable the ad blocker for this site. Oh, hi. Oh, yeah, I'll disable the ad blocker for this site. Oh, yeah, I'll disable the ad blocker for Psychists claim that all of reality is infused with experience. And what they mean by that is that very intriguing. All of they mean that the lowest level, the fundamental particles or the strings, whatever it is that's the fundamental ingredient of reality, actually has the felt quality of experience in it. And the reason 
that we humans and other sophisticated biological systems are conscious. And the reason is that, that we're configured in very sophisticated ways based on relations between these fundamental experiential ingredients. Now, I'm critical of this. I'll tell you why. Um, some people would say that it's a funny view, but I, I don't think it is a funny view that there's something intrinsically wrong with the position. Um, after all, you know, there have been religious traditions like Buddhism that have held this position for years. But my problem is how it meshes with today's work in fundamental physics. So right now, there's a terrible contradiction between relativity theory on the one hand and quantum mechanics on the other. There's an issue about essentially how to relate the big elements of reality to the fundamental small ingredients at the quantum level. And these solutions seem to preclude the idea that there would be anything like subjects of experience at the ground level. These ideas often claim that space and time are themselves emergent. They come from relations between fundamentally non-spatial and non-temporal ingredients. But if reality's fundamental ingredients aren't spatial, I don't understand what the panpsychists mean when they claim that these little elements of reality are subjects of experience. And if time isn't fundamental, which some of these theories claim, then I certainly don't understand how there could be subjects at the fundamental because consciousness seems to be inherently a temporal phenomenon. It causes events in the mind to happen, for one thing. And when we introspect our own conscious activity, we're not static beings. We exist in time. When we introspect so I think there's a fundamental mystery here, and I think that there's a view that's like panpsychism, which would be much more friendly to that work on how to reconcile quantum mechanics and relativity theory. That work, by the way, is within an area known as quantum gravity. So that work, by the way, so I think the possible route known as quantum to reconciliation here that is still friendly to what the panpsychists say is to think that there may be proto time at the fundamental level. So even if there's nothing like time, and even if there's nothing like space, it would seem friendly to the idea that there's proto space and proto time. And if that's the case, that is quite friendly to a view that's known as pan-proto-psychism, which is, by definition, a view that says that the fundamental ingredients, as they combine, give rise to conscious experience, and that those fundamental ingredients are quasi-mental. So that might be one way that the pan-psychist could modify her view that is more loyal to the actual work in physics right now 
on quantum gravity. That being said, there are a lot of different theories of quantum gravity. There's a lot of controversy in that domain. String theory, for example, is highly controversial. And string theory, of course, is not the only theory of quantum gravity. Some people claim that time is fundamental. But what I think is important is that philosophers who are making claims about panpsychism actually engage with that work and think, okay, if I'm making claims about what the fundamental ingredients of reality are, could those fundamental ingredients be anything like mental subjects? And could they be anything like experiences? Because that's what they're claiming. And if what they're claiming doesn't mesh with physics, that's a problem. Because that's what they're claiming. But it really requires experience to get the qualitative aspects. That goes back to really requires thought experiment called Mary's room. And Mary is a very bright neuroscience, and for her whole life, she has been trained in everything. She's a color scientist, so she studies everything about color in. She everything knows everything. She knows all about how different colors activate certain neurons in the brain in the visual center. How different colors and certain neurons in the brain. The important thing: Mary was brought up in a house which is completely black and white, no colors whatsoever. Mary was brought up in a house. It's impossible, which is completely for her to really no colors know what these colors are. And let's say she knows everything that there is to be known about the color red. For her to really know, but she's never actually seen the color red. She just knows all about it and what it does to the brain and all that stuff. She's never actually seen the color red. She's never experienced it. Is it possible for her to essentially get the qualitative experience through quantitative knowledge? Get the qualitative experience through quantitative knowledge. Imagine a brilliant neuroscientist named Mary. Mary lives in a black and white room. She only reads black and white books, and her screens only display black and white. But even though she has never seen color, Mary is an expert in color vision and knows everything ever discovered about its physics and biology. She knows how different wavelengths of light stimulate three types of cone cells in the retina, and she knows how electrical signals travel down the optic nerve into the brain. There, they create patterns of neural activity that correspond to the millions of colors most humans can distinguish. Now imagine that one day Mary's black and white screen malfunctions and an apple appears in color. For the first time, she can experience something that she's known about for years. Does she learn anything new? Is there anything about perceiving color that wasn't captured in all her knowledge? Philosopher Frank Jackson proposed this thought experiment called Mary's Room in 1982. He argued that if Mary already knew all the physical facts about color vision and experiencing color still teaches her something new, 
then mental states like color perception can't be completely described by physical facts. The Mary's Room thought experiment describes what philosophers call the knowledge argument, that there are non-physical properties and knowledge which can only be discovered through conscious experience. The knowledge argument contradicts the theory of physicalism, which says that everything, including mental states, has a physical explanation. To most people hearing Mary's story, it seems intuitively obvious that actually seeing color will be totally different than learning about it. Therefore, there must be some quality of color vision that transcends its physical description. The knowledge argument isn't just about color vision. Mary's room uses color vision to represent conscious experience. If physical science can't entirely explain color vision, then maybe it can't entirely explain other conscious experiences either. For instance, we could know every physical detail about the structure and function of someone else's brain, but still not understand what it feels like to be that person. These ineffable experiences have properties called qualia, subjective qualities that you can't accurately describe or measure. Qualia are unique to the person experiencing them, like having an itch, being in love, or feeling bored. Physical facts can't completely explain mental states like this. Philosophers interested in artificial intelligence have used the knowledge argument to theorize that recreating a physical state won't necessarily recreate a corresponding mental state. In other words, building a computer which mimicked the function of every single neuron of the human brain won't necessarily create a conscious computerized brain. Or will it? Not all philosophers agree that the Mary's Room experiment is useful. Some argue that her extensive knowledge of color vision would have allowed her to create the same mental state produced by actually seeing the color. The screen malfunction wouldn't show her anything new. Others say that her knowledge was never complete in the first place because it was based only on those physical facts that can be conveyed in words. Years after he proposed it, Jackson actually reversed his own stance on his thought experiment. He decided that even Mary's experience of seeing red still does correspond to a measurable physical event in the brain, not unknowable qualia beyond physical explanation. But there still isn't a definitive answer to the question of whether Mary would learn anything new when she sees the apple. Could it be that there are fundamental limits to what we can know about something we can't experience? And would this mean that there are certain aspects of the universe that lie permanently beyond our comprehension? Or will science and philosophy allow us to overcome our mind's limitations? All right. Well, in my humble opinion, it would be possible to experience red without actually experiencing two that there is a physical change associated with the experience of red. I think you could, if you wanted to, you could trigger certain neurons to trigger the experience of a particular color, such as red. And... Going off a tangent, I see an interesting video here. Right. I didn't know I was going to be 
going this deep in this episode, but let's let's see where it takes us. Let's see where the night takes us. Austrian physicist Erwin Schrödinger is one of the founders of quantum mechanics, but he's most famous for something he never actually did, a thought experiment involving a cat. He imagined taking a cat and placing it in a sealed box with a device that had a 50% chance of killing the cat in the next hour. At the end of that hour, he asked, what is the state of the cat? Common sense suggests that the cat is either alive or dead. But Schrodinger pointed out that according to quantum physics, at the instant before the box is opened, the cat is equal parts alive and dead at the same time. It's only when the box is opened that we see a single definite state. Until then, the cat is a blur of probability, half one thing and half the other. This seems absurd, which was Schrodinger's point. He found quantum physics so philosophically disturbing that he abandoned the theory he had helped make and turned to writing about biology. As absurd as it may seem, though, Schrodinger's cat is very real. In fact, it's essential. If it weren't possible for quantum objects to be in two states at once, the computer you're using to watch this couldn't exist. The quantum phenomenon of superposition is a consequence of the dual particle and wave nature of everything. In order for an object to have a wavelength, it must extend over some region of space, which means it occupies many positions at the same time. The wavelength of an object limited to a small region of space can't be perfectly defined, though, so it exists in many different wavelengths at the same time. We don't see these wave properties for everyday objects because the wavelength decreases as the momentum increases, and a cat is relatively big and heavy. If we took a single atom and blew it up to the size of the solar system, the wavelength of a cat running from a physicist would be as small as an atom within that solar system. That's far too small to detect, so we'll never see wave behavior from a cat. A tiny particle like an electron, though, can show dramatic evidence of its dual nature. If we shoot electrons, one at a time, at a set of two narrow slits cut in a barrier, each electron on the far side is detected at a single place at a specific instant, like a particle. But if you repeat this experiment many times, keeping track of all the individual detections, you'll see them trace out a pattern that's characteristic of wave behavior. Keeping track of all the individual detections, you'll see them trace out a pattern that's characteristic of wave behavior. Oh no. A set of stripes. Regions with many electrons separated by regions where there are Someone none at all. Came in Block one of the slits and the stripes go away. This shows that the pattern is a result of each electron going through both slits at the same time. A single electron isn't choosing to go left or right, but left and right simultaneously. This superposition of states also leads to modern technology. An electron near the nucleus of an atom exists in a spread out wave-like orbit. Bring two atoms close together, and the electrons don't need to choose just one atom, but are shared between them. This is how some chemical bonds form. An electron in a molecule isn't on just atom A or atom B, but A plus B. As you add more atoms, the electrons spread out more, shared between vast numbers of atoms at the same time. The electrons in a solid aren't bound to a particular atom, but shared among all of them, extending over a large range of space. This gigantic superposition of states determines the ways electrons move through the material. 
whether it's a conductor, or an insulator, or a semiconductor. Understanding how electrons are shared among atoms allows us to precisely control the properties of semiconductor materials like silicon. What is this one about? In the 1920s, the German mathematician David Hilbert devised a famous thought experiment to show us just how hard it is to wrap our minds around the concept of infinity. Imagine a hotel with an infinite number of rooms and a very hard-working night manager. One night, the infinite hotel is completely full, totally booked up with an infinite number of guests. A man walks into the hotel and asks for a room. Rather than turn him down, the night manager decides to make room for him. How? Easy. He asks the guest in room number one to move to room two, the guest in room two to move to room three, and so on. Every guest moves from room number n to room number n plus one. Since there are an infinite number of rooms, there is a new room for each existing guest. This leaves room one open for the new customer. The process can be repeated for any finite number of new guests. If, say, a tour bus unloads 40 new people looking for rooms, then every existing guest just moves from room number N to room number N plus 40, thus opening up the first 40 rooms. But now, an infinitely large bus with a countably infinite number of passengers pulls up to rent rooms. Countably infinite is the key. Now, the infinite bus of infinite passengers perplexes the night manager at first, but he realizes there's a way to place each new person. He asks the guest in room one to move to room two. He then asks the guest in room two to move to room four, the guest in room three to move to room six, and so on. Each current guest moves from room number N to room number 2N. <laughs> Each filling up only the infinite, even-numbered rooms. By doing this, he has now emptied all of the infinitely many odd-numbered rooms, which are then taken by the people filing off the infinite bus. Everyone's happy, and the hotel's business is booming more than ever. Well, actually, it is booming exactly the same amount as ever, banking an infinite number of dollars a night. Word spreads about this incredible hotel. People pour in from far and wide. One night, the unthinkable happens. The night manager looks outside and sees an infinite line of infinitely large buses, each with a countably infinite number of passengers. What can he do? If he cannot find rooms for them, the hotel will lose out on an infinite amount of money, and he will surely lose his job. Luckily, he remembers that around the year 300 BCE, Euclid proved that there is an infinite quantity of prime numbers. So to accomplish this seemingly impossible task of finding infinite beds for infinite buses of infinite weary travelers, the night manager assigns every current guest to the first prime number, two, raised to the power of their current room number. So the current occupant of room number seven goes to room number two to the seventh power, which is room 128. The night manager then takes the people on the first of the infinite buses and assigns them to the room number of the next prime, three, raised to the power of their seat number on the bus. So, the person in seat number seven on the first bus goes to room number three to the seventh power. 
or room number 2187. This continues for all of the first bus. The passengers on the second bus are assigned powers of the next prime, five. The following bus, powers of seven. Each bus follows powers of 11, powers of 13, powers of 17, etc. Since each of these numbers only has one and the natural number powers of their prime number base as factors, there are no overlapping room numbers. All the bus's passengers fan out into rooms using unique room assignment schemes based on unique prime numbers. In this way, the night manager can accommodate every passenger on every bus, although there will be many rooms that go unfilled, like room six, since six is not a power of any prime number. Luckily, his bosses weren't very good in math, so his job is safe. The night manager's strategies are only possible because while the infinite hotel is certainly a logistical nightmare, it only deals with the lowest level of infinity, namely the countable infinity of the natural numbers. 1, 2, 3, 4, and so on. Georg Cantor called this level of infinity Aleph 0. We use natural numbers for the room numbers as well as the seat numbers on the buses. If we were dealing with higher orders of infinity, such as that of the real numbers, these structured strategies would no longer be possible, as we have no way to systematically include every number. The real number infinite hotel has negative number rooms in the basement, fractional rooms, so the guy in room one half always suspects he has less room than the guy in room one, square root rooms like room radical two, and room pie where the guests expect free dessert. What self-respecting night manager would ever want to work there, even for an infinite salary? But over at Hilbert's infinite hotel, where there's never any this is a weird video, weird episode. I don't really know what's going on. This is a weird video, weird episode. I'm just kind of going on watching videos. On a typical day at school, endless hours are spent questions no one knows the answer to. But right now, we'll do the opposite. We're going to focus on questions where you can't learn the answers because there are none. I used to puzzle about a lot of things as a boy. Um, for example, what would it feel like to be a dog? Do fish feel pain? Or how about insects? Was the Big Bang just an accident? I mean, is there a God? And if so, how are we so sure that it's a he and not a she? Why do so many innocent people and animals suffer terrible things? Is there really a plan for my life? Is this the future to be written? Or is it already written? We just can't see it. But then, do I have free will? Who am I anyway? Am I just a biological machine? But then, why am I conscious? What is consciousness? Will robots become conscious one day? I mean, I kind of assume that someday, I would be told the answers to all these questions. Someone must know, right? Guess what? No one knows. Most of those questions puzzle me more now than ever. But no one knows. Let's start focusing on the questions that people can actually figure out. Actually, first, one question that we don't know the answer to, and I experienced the Mandela effect recently. For those of you that don't know, um, what it is, is you see something, 
and then um, you have this strange feeling that what it is, is you had you see that what you saw is contrary to what you have previously seen in the past. So it goes back to the idea of Nelson Mandela, and there are a number of people that believe they s- so vividly remember Nelson Mandela dying in prison in the 80s. And they're very, very passionate about that. And it also goes for like the Berenstein Bears, where like it's technically spelled Berenstein Bears. And it also goes for like the Berenstein Bears. But and people are very adamant about this. I personally don't believe it. One thing that one explanation people have for it is like multiple universes or dimensions coming together, and then somehow you're getting a false memory from a different universe, where like the universe where Nelson Mandela died in prison, or the universe where it's spelled Berenstein Bears. I had my own experience of this. I was looking at the Instagram of public figure Eric Weinstein, and I had seen his account before. There was only one or there was his main platform is Twitter, and most of his followers are on Twitter. And he had a few on Instagram, but that was it. One post, maybe two posts, followers are 50 followers. And he had a few on Instagram. And of course, he's got way more on Twitter where it's like 267,000 followers. And of course, he's got way more on Twitter where it's like... One day I went into his Instagram and I saw that I was mistaken. He actually has 24.8 thousand followers on Instagram and he's been posting, making posts since 2017. He has a whole bunch of posts since then. And I was shook. He has a whole bunch of posts. I was legitimately shook when I saw this. Because this is contrary to everything I knew. Because I, I remember being surprised looking at his account and thinking, I remember being what is going on here? And just, and just seeing and going, why doesn't he have that many followers? I guess he just doesn't use Instagram. And just seeing and going now. I Why think what I'm doing is I'm mistaking his account with his brother's, which really is small. A small. I think what I'm doing is I'm mistaking his account with his brother's, which really is small. A small. I think what I'm. And Brett also has Brett most of his followers on Twitter. His Instagram, is like. Well, he has 1,800 followers, but that's not nothing too great. It's like. Well, he has 1,800 followers, but that's not nothing too... But he's got, like, two posts. I think that's what I was doing. Well, he has 1,800 followers, but that's not nothing too... He's got, like, two posts. I think that's what I was doing. He's got about the same as brother, 254,000 followers on Twitter. He's got, like, two Twitter. He's got about the same as brother, 254,000 followers on Twitter. Versus 24,000 followers for Eric Weinstein on Instagram. 1,800 on Instagram for Brett. So I wasn't sure what to think. Then, another experience, this wasn't really my own experience, this was I was sitting there in choir, and someone up in the front row looks back and asks someone else, hey, is there a vent in this room? Look up, there is a vent up there. We didn't remember a vent there from before. Look up, 
There is a vent it's up kind there. of a weird, but that's just a case of you're not you're not really noticing anything. I don't know. It's a weird, freaky feeling. There's nothing like it, and I hate it. I hate it so much. It's a weird, freaky feeling. There's nothing like it, and I hate it. I hate it so much. It's a weird, God. I hate that feeling. When like there's something that you thought you knew. And you're sure about it. And then you like see something, something that's that you completely to the contrary. And you're sure about it. Now I wonder if another option is what if the account for Eric Weinstein that I saw on Instagram what if originally I was looking at some fan account which really did only have like one or two followers or I mean one or two posts and like fifty followers or something. That's possible. I mean, one or two posts. Also possible. I'm confusing him with his brother. That's another option. I mean, not the person, but confusing the accounts in my mind. Like, I, I'm very aware of the difference between, his, between the brothers. That's not the problem here. I'm very aware of the difference between the brothers. But it was weird. It was fucking weird, man. I didn't know what to think. Didn't know what to think. Yeah. I didn't know what to think. I don't know. Didn't know what to think. Uh, what else was I going to do here, house? I don't know. I should cover most of the topics I wanted to get to. I'm not even to the end of my time. But I think I know what it's time for. I'm not even to the end of my time. Every time. I love it. <laughs> that makes me laugh every time. You know, I was going to bring up it. one topic. It's too depressing, though. I might wait till next week. I've had too much serious talk in this episode. It's too depressing. It's time for some fun. Um, I've had too much serious talk. What's something fun? It's time for some fun. Um, I've had too much serious talk. What's something fun? Well, something fun. Hmm. Well, something fun. Hmm. Well, something fun. Interesting. Well, something fun. Interesting. All right, this is going to be weird. All right, this is. Gonna be weird.
Joe Someone said as we shook hands She was just Miss Joe I said, Miss Joe, you're a girl who understands. I'm a man who must be free. And all at once I lost my breath, and all at once was scared to death. And all at once I only my breath and all at once was scared to death and all at once I on the earth and sky This is always a good option. This is always a good option. Oh. Johnny is a joker, he's a bird, a very funny joker, he's a bird, but when he jokes for honey, he's a dog, his joking ain't so funny, what a dog, Johnny is a joker that's trying to steal my baby, he's a bird dog, Johnny sings a love song, like a bird, he sings the sweetest love song you ever heard, but he's using his Jamaica, Johnny wants to fly away, puppy love my baby, he's a bird's dog. 
dog, get away from my quail. Hey, bird dog, you're on the wrong trail. Bird dog, you better leave my lovely dog alone. Hey, bird dog, get away from my chick. Hey, bird dog, you better get away quick. Bird dog, you better find a chicken. Johnny kissed the teacher, he's a bird. He tiptoed up to reach her, he's a bird. He's the teacher's pet now, he's a dog. What he can see get now, what a dog. He even made the teacher let him sit next to my baby, he's a bird dog. Hey bird dog, get away from my queen. Stars, looking for fun and feeling groovy. 
It's funny doing it with them. I'd rather do it on my own. How about um okay. Scratch that. How about, about. Uh, here we go. I'm not sure if I want to do the whole thing. The font is bad. I am just a poor boy though my story seldom told. I have squandered my resistance for a pocket full of novels such as promises. All lies and jest, still a man hears what he wants to hear and disregards the rest.
touch of a plot We fell asleep Our goose is cooked Our reputation is shot sure if there's a I'm not sure if there's a karaoke for this one all right I'm not sure if there's a I'm not sure if there's a karaoke for this one all right um I'm not sure if there's a karaoke for this one all right um Jesus loves you more than you will know. Whoa, whoa, whoa. God bless you, please, Mrs. Robinson. Heaven holds a place for those who pray. Hey, hey. Hey, hey. Thank you. 
candidates debate. Laugh about it, chat about it when you've got to choose. Everywhere you look at and choose. Where's that you gone, Joe DiMaggio? A nation turns its lonely eyes to you. What's that you say, Mrs. Robinson? Jolty Joe has left and gone away. I've got something in my front pocket for you. Why don't you reach on in my pocket and see what it is? The travel to just for you. Give a little squeeze and say, how do you do? Something in my front pocket for you. Why don't you reach on in my pocket and see what it is? The travel to just for you. Give a little squeeze and say, how do you do? There's something in my front pocket. There's something in my front pocket. There's something in my front pocket. I've got something in my front pocket for you. Why don't you reach on in my pocket? I've got something in my front pocket for you. There's a little squeeze and say, There's something in my front pocket. There's something in my front pocket. And now the original version of the song. <laughs> All right, so that's been fun. This is Chris Wright with Point Counterpoint with KUST University of St. Thomas right. Campus Radio. So that's been it's fun. been Lip Fam. Namaste. Point Counterpoint. Uh, I'm gonna sign out now. KUST University of St. Thomas right. Campus Radio. Keep so it real. Lip Fam. Namaste. Point Counterpoint. Uh, I'm gonna sign out now. KUST University of St.